Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, February 6th, 2017. I predict that some of you are going to be exhausted at the end of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. That's kind of the point that I'll explain in a minute. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there, and uh, we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and see and test if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, Self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, it's generally how that works out. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet being offered to evangelicals is, um, well... Junk food at best, poison at worst, and toxic medical spiritual waste and sludge, if you would. And you wouldn't want to be, you know, you know, feeding on this stuff unless you want to get some kind of weird, strange, spiritually communicable disease or something like that. So that's what we do here at Fighting for the Faith. Now, I said that on today's episode, uh, there's a good chance that some of you are going to be exhausted. Yeah, at the end of today's program, you may be tired, and uh, there's a reason for that. It has something to do with the theme for today. But uh, see if you remember these two fellows from uh, Saturday Night Live. This might help. Once again, I am Hans. Yeah, I'm, I'm Franz, and we, we are, are here, here to pop. pop. You are. That's right. Hans and Franz, they are here to, you know, pump you up. And so Hans and Franz, this is kind of like Hans and Franz Christianity, but you have to kind of put the word Christianity in air quotes. It's all about you doing really hard, you know, applying yourself, you know, really diligently so that you can, you know... (laughs) 
it it's really super heavy law kind of stuff. It's like it's it's this is the kind of Christianity that turns Jesus into the ultimate example. See, the reason why Jesus came to earth was to show you what it looks like to live the victorious Christian life. You know what I mean? There it is, you know, God on Mount Sinai gave us the Ten Commandments. And, you know, everybody just was messing it up. I mean, nobody was doing it right. And so Jesus finally said, enough, 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 enough. I mean, I want these people to be blessed. I want them to be successful. I want them to be beautiful. I want them to be well-adjusted. I want them to, you know, you know, have my absolute best. So I'm going to come down and I'm going to show them how to do it. So, you know, after they watch my example, then they too can, you know... can do this and so then jesus turns into the ultimate you know like kind of like athletic coach of one sort or another you know so jesus is gonna drop and give you you know drop and give me 20 you know jesus says you know give me you know and uh and so that's kind of the idea for today's episode of fighting for the faith we're going to be uh learning all about you know success about Oh, you know, the things you've got to do, steps that you've got to apply, and, and things that you've got... Oh, man, by the end of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, you're going to have a list. A list of principles, of things you got to do, of stuff you got to do, so that you can finally be one of the beautiful people. I mean, that that's, you know, what it's all about, right? You You, you want to be, you know, like wealthy and beautiful and super healthy and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, that's what God wants for you. But, you know, you've got to do your part, of course. And you're sitting there going, there's something wrong with this. <laughs> yeah, there's really something wrong with this. So uh, we'll try to see if we can tease out what's wrong with it along the way. So we're going to begin with a money-grubbing televangelist um, segment in fact, I'm looking at this. Um, the, yeah, the whole first hour, money-grubbing televangelists of one stripe or another. Uh, we're going to begin with somebody I don't know if we've covered yet here at Fighting for the Faith because he seems like such a nice guy, and that's Andrew Womack. And uh, Andrew Womack, you, you got to know this about this fellow. He is a complete word of faith. You blab it, grab it, you know, apply the principles and you can have, you know, health, wealth, prosperity, all this kind of stuff. And uh, and uh, he is to be avoided uh, every bit as much as somebody like Kenneth Copeland. Uh, you know, you, you get the point. So uh, that so we're going to begin with uh, Andrew Womack explaining to us living in God's best. That's right. Are you living in God's best? You know that God wants you to live in his best, but... So many people, they they don't do what's necessary in order to live in God's best. And so they're living in God's, like, you know, second best, third, maybe fourth or fifth best. Yeah, it's just sad. I mean, I don't, I mean, you know, Hans and Franz are here to pump you up. And so he's going to teach you how to live in God's best. Um, then uh, we'll switch gears along the way somewhere. And then we're going to listen to John Hagee as he explains to us the important Principles of promise, problem, and provision. Promise, problem, and then provision. And then to end off hour number one, we're going to be listening to Jesse Duplantis, the power of, and you see, when you, when you start a sermon and it begins with the power of, you think the next word's going to be the cross. You know, no, no, no. <clears throat> the power of success. Mm, yeah. 
And then in hour number two, we're going to head to Woodlands, uh, Woodland Hills Church. I think they're in either Minnesota or Michigan or something like that. And uh, we're looking to listen to David Morrow as he explains to us how to properly use time. That's right. I, I, you've, you've been probably dying for a good time management sermon. No problemo. You know, when, when we're done with you today, folks, you're going to know how to manage your time. You're going to learn the power of success, how to live in God's best through applying the principles of promise, problem, and provision. Oh, oh, man, this is like the ultimate gym version of fighting for the faith. We are going to pump you up. And you're sitting there going, I know there's something wrong with this, but I'm not quite sure what's wrong with it. We'll figure it out along the way. So, you know, grab some knee pads, maybe some protective headgear. You know, it's a good pair of running shoes, maybe even some gloves, because we're, we're going to be, oh, man, you're going to be doing some spiritual burpees and all this kind of stuff. Oh, man, we're going to we're gonna get you out of that spiritual flabby state that you're in right now. And you, you look at your life. I mean, it is just the epitome of mediocrity. No problemo, though. We're going to apply some biblical principles, and we're going to really shine up that penny that you are, and you are going to just go out and, whoo. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> so that will be t- today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And you're thinking, uh-oh, what is Roseboro <laughs> drinking? <laughs> water. Yeah, I've been, I've been drinking a lot of water. Anyway, so with that, we're going to get into the program proper. And since we're going to begin with a money-grubbing televangelist update, that requires us to do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. Quite as wonderful as money, 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 money. It's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that waits the world go round, round, round. You can round, keep round, your marches raised, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. All right, so we're heading over to the uh, television studios of Andrew Womack. That's right, Andrew Womack. He seems like such a nice guy. I mean, he's seen, yeah, he seems so sincere. And I mean, he's so helpful to so many people. And I mean, you know, he's an elder statesman within the televangelist ranks. I mean, what could possibly be wrong with him? Answer, everything is wrong with them. This guy is a word of faith, prosperity, money-grubbing televangelist. He just doesn't quite have the showmanship as some of the other ones, but, oh, don't worry, he'll rob you blind. Here's Andrew Womack. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today, I'm going to start a brand-new series talking about how you can live in God's best. Oh, wow, finally, finally, yeah. (sighs) You know, I've been trying to figure out how to live in God's best, you know, here I am <clears throat> wearing a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and clearly, you know, my entire adult life I've struggled, you know, with my weight and not being 
physically, perfectly physically fit. You know, I mean, I've always wanted one of those six packs. And and then I look at my bank account and, oh, <laughs> there's so much to be desired there. And, oh, and now I look, there's gray growing out of my hair, you know, it's like, and my beard's turned gray. And, <laughs> I've never been able to pull it together in order to live God's best. I such a failure. I must not be a Christian. Now that title may not really get you at first, but I'm going to be explaining a lot of things. I got a brand new book on this, Living in God's Best. And let me say that most I bet you have a new book on this. Right, yeah. People don't uh, live in God's best. No. And I, I could spend literally uh, weeks probably trying to position this and to encourage you to live and believe God for something more. Yeah, see, that maybe that's my problem. I'm not believing God for something more. Here, I've been trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life. When I should have been trusting him for what? What exactly should I be trusting him for, Andrew? But uh, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time on this. But you need to recognize that most people are not experiencing God's best. God's best is for total health, not just relative to other people, but I mean perfect health. <laughs> See, I've been trusting Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and, and you. And I didn't even realize I should have been trusting him this entire time for perfect help. Don't you understand that because I failed to recognize this, I'm probably going to die someday? And there are scriptures. We'll be talking about this. God's best in the area of finance is for you to be completely debt free. Be able to have so much abundance that you can abound unto every good work. I see you have to have abundance. In order to do good work. You can't do your good works when you're poor. I had no idea. Oh, man. Only the rich can do good work. God's best in marriage is much higher than what most people are experiencing. And they settle for much less. They don't follow God's leading. And they don't receive God's best with our children, with our vocation, with the vision that God has for us. Oh, man. I... I didn't even realize I was supposed to have a vision from God. Nobody told me. <laughs> I, I mean, I've read my Bible through like many times. and I, I must have missed it. I believe that God has never made a piece of junk ever. God has never made a failure. God has never made a mistake. Yeah. Um, have you heard of this thing called sin? And you know Adam and Eve, they, there was a there was a tree and a serpent and uh, you know a, some deception and Adam and Eve like disobeyed God and now all of us are born dead in trespasses and sins. Are you familiar with like Ephesians chapter two and stuff like that? You know, I just you know, so it's not that we're made pieces of junk. It's just that you know we're conceived and born in sin because of the you know Adam's rebellion. You know. We're all sinners. When he created us, God has good plans for us. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Yeah, the, the thing is the you there is a y'all in the Hebrew, and he's talking to the exiles in um, Babylon. 
so he's taking Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Uh, are you tired yet? I mean, uh, here we are. You know, I, I mean, we're just literally, you know, less than a couple of minutes into Andrew Womack's, oh, breathtaking, breathtaking, um, you know, teaching here on uh, the uh, on you know living in God's best and just are you ta- are you taking a, an inventory of your life and you're realizing, man, you know. Andrew Womack here, you know, he's like Hans and Franz. Again, I am Hans. Yeah, I'm, I'm Franz, and we, we are, are here, here to pump you up. That's right, we're here to pump you up. You're, you're going to have, oh man, you're going to have God's best. You're a great vision. You're going to have perfect health. You're going to have perfect wealth so that you can finally do good works. Oh, and and oh, and that dream destiny thingy. Oh, my, my, my I mean... Oh, man, no more flabby Christianity for you. Oh, man, when Andrew Womack's done with you, oh, 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 man, you're going to have spiritual six-pack abs. Uh, it, you know, the weird thing, though, is, you know, he did twist Jeremiah 29-11. That's a little troubling. And, uh, you know, it, which you can't see because, you know, this is radio. Uh, what you can't see is that Andrew Womack... For all that talking about perfect health, yeah, he's kind of looking old. Um, dude, I mean, seriously, he looks like well into his 60s, you know, and it's like he's got like gray hair and his skin kind of looks, you know, you know, worn. So, I mean, for all that talk of perfect health, I mean, I, I don't get it. It's some, some, something seems off. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. NIV says a hope in a future. God has a great plan for your life. Right, right. Except for that was written to the exiles in Babylon and you're twisting Jeremiah 29, 11 there. Yeah, because he goes on to say, you know, it, it, when when you're there in exile in Babylon, you know, pray for the, on behalf of the people, you know, the country that you're in and marry and, you know, have children and build houses and things like that. Um, yeah, read the rest of the letter. I mean, it's, you're, you're kind of twisting God's word. And of course, you know, just doing the inventory on my life after that list of things that I'm supposed to be experiencing when it comes to having God's best, man, I have woefully fallen short. I mean, immediately the question comes up if, I mean, you know, when Jesus returns, he's coming back, you know, um, when he returns and I stand before him on the judgment seat, is he going to look at me and go, oh, man, Chris, I, I had perfect health for you, man. Perfect. And you settled for like far less than that. Far, far less. And, you know, and then, you know, your finances, dude. I mean, you were supposed to die a billionaire. And what happened? What, 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 what's going on here? I mean, uh, this is what, I mean, my best for you, you would have been a billionaire and no, and no. So you didn't have perfect health. You didn't have this perfect wealth thing going on. And you know, you and your wife, I mean, you had some rough patches and I understand that, you know, a lot of people have rough patches in the marriage, but you know, my, my perfect plan for your perfect marriage, you know, there would have been no rough patches and all, Oh man, your children, they would have been perfectly behaved. But no, 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 they, they sass talked to you and, uh, and you had some sleepless nights and agonized in prayer over them and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, Chris, 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 Chris. I mean, and so I'm going to stand before Jesus and he's going to like, you know, you know, 
<laughs> read me the riot act and upbraid me. I mean, the immediate question comes to mind. It's like, man, am I going to hell for this? I mean, do people go to hell because they didn't have perfect health and wealth and all this kind of stuff? I mean, oh, and then the whole purpose-driven thingy. Oh, man, I I never even once believed for a second that I was supposed to receive a direct revelation from God revealing to me my unique dream destiny purpose thingy. <sighs> Oh man, I, I'm I'm I am so going to hell. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, I I I I, I don't even know if I can be a Christian because I haven't done any of this stuff. And I'm just telling you that most people are living way below God's standards. Matter of fact, I believe I can say this that there is not. Have you seen the age lines on Andrew Womack? I mean, seriously, he's got the major crow's feet going on. His jowls kind of hang low. I mean, is he really sure he's doing this perfect health thing? A person breathing that has totally maxed out everything that God has for them. Yeah. I know that's certainly true of my life. I've seen... God yeah, it's, it's clear because you, you're definitely looking long in the tooth there, Andrew. Yeah. It's true. I, I, I wonder if he's going to go to hell for that. I'll do some great things. I am so blessed and thankful for what God has done in my life and through me to touch other people. I'm excited about it, but I can guarantee you that there is more. God has shown me more. Uh, he has. Okay. So apparently Andrew Womack, you know, hears directly from God and, you know, God's shown him more. So, you know, and I, I'm sure, you know, if you, you know, watch Andrew Womack's television program, I mean, this, this is a whole series he's doing. On you know you know living in God's best, and uh, I mean this is like just the first installment of this teaching, and you know, and you know just evaluating my life. Clearly, I've fallen short. I haven't chosen to live in God's best. I I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But don't worry. I'm sure if I watch the rest of the programs in the series. That, uh, you know, he's going to just whip me into shape, you know. Once again, I am Hans. Yeah, I am Franz. And we, we are here to pop your heart. Right on. Yeah, let's do this, man. I need some spiritual gym shorts. And, you know, <laughs> it's not even January 1st, man. It's like February 6th. But it's not too late. I can make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to, I'm going to experience God's best. <laughs> By hook or by crook. I mean, it's it's coming. I know it's coming. Tell, save me, Andrew. That he wants me to do and accomplish through me. And I haven't arrived. I've just left. I'm on my way to where God wants me to go. But I haven't tapped out everything that God has for me. And whether you realize it or not, God has more for you than what you're experiencing. Yeah, but it sounds like if God has more for me, kind of the way you're talking is it, well then in order to get the more i've got to do do a lot more i you know i'm tired i yeah this this sounds you know i'll be blunt i mean this sounds worse than the treadmill i mean uh. and let me say that the reason some of you and i'm talking to people here who know the lord yeah. who love the lord yeah and yet you aren't satisfied uh, there's many reasons for this, but sometimes, and I'm speaking specifically to people who the reason you're dissatisfied, it's God who's making you dissatisfied.
And that may shock some of you and think, well, what are you saying? God wouldn't be the one that makes me depressed or discouraged or whatever. But there is a satisfaction that comes only when you are in the center of God's will that you won't get anywhere else. Oh, see, yeah. I, I didn't even consider that. I mean, it, 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 this is like the Rolling Stones song. Dun, dun, da, 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 da. I can't get no. You see, that's maybe the reason why Mick Jagger wrote this song that he can't get no satisfaction because he didn't apply the steps necessary to get into the center of God's will. But, you know, come to think of it, I mean, he is, you know, considered one of the pretty people in the world. Although, you know, he, he I always kind of thought of him as so ugly. He cried, like came all the way back around and became beautiful. <clears throat> yeah, it's weird how that works with guys. Anyway, so, yeah, and then, you know, and then come to think of it, I mean, the guy is, like, living forever. I mean, he's, like... <laughs> And he should be in a senior citizen home, and he's like having babies, you know, with these multiple women that he sleeps with all the time. And he's like really wealthy too. I mean, huh? I'm a little confused here. And one of the ways that the Lord has directed me is, I remember when I was pastoring in Sigaville, Texas, and I was there for two years, and it was a struggle. I mean, we did not see a great success at all. No, yeah. Oh, man. You probably weren't even Christians. And it was a struggle to survive during this time. But I was committed to it. I love that place. I prayed for those people. And I remember one day as I was walking down at the church and I was praying, I just looked out the window and it's like my compassion, my joy, my peace about being in Seagoville, Texas just left. I mean, it was gone. I looked out the window and I thought, why am I here? I don't like this place. I want to get out of there. And prior to that time, I just loved it. And I was committed to standing there and praying. And it was such a radical switch. I mean, it's just like my heart. Isn't it weird that, you know, uh, we're learning a lot about Andrew Womack and he's twisted God's word. We're not really hearing God's word says in context on this. Just instantly changed that I was shocked by it. And I spent two or three hours praying, God, what happened? What just happened? Was this you or is this something wrong with me? And the more I prayed about it, the more the Lord convinced me it was him just taking this desire to be in Seagoville, Texas out of my heart. And so after a couple of hours praying about it, the Lord spoke to me and he told me I was leaving. It was time for me to leave. And he even gave me a date. He said, November the 1st. So this is a guy who hears directly from the Lord. But, I mean, aren't you exhausted already? I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, are you experiencing perfect health? Mm-hmm. Financial wealth so that you can finally do your good works. Apparently, you can't even do your good works in the kingdom of God uh, until you you have, like, abundant provision and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, so uh, yeah. how are you measuring up? I mean, <laughs> I've fallen woefully short, but... Uh, Let's take our first break, and uh, we'll continue with this uh, episode of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Meyer Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Meyer Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we got John Hagee and Jesse Duplantis. Coming up in the balance of the first hour. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back.
Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando... We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. You think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off. My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. We here at Pyro Christian Radio understand the importance of outreach ministries and what they can provide for the people they serve. We've recently discovered a small charity organization called Kenyan Christian Arts. This group has come together to craft and sell unique handmade Christian art locally and around the world to provide the funds necessary to feed, medicate, and educate orphan children in Kenya. Additionally, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase is donated to the FredEx International Foundation to help the poor and orphan children all over western Kenya. Please visit KenyanChristianArts.com and take a look at their selection of hand-carved soapstone goods. Their selection includes a variety of pieces such as crosses, vases, nativity sets, and even mugs. Remember, that's KenyanChristianArts.com. Thank you. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. 
Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that, well, shining up your old old Adam is not really the goal of Christian sanctification. And being perfectly healthy and wealthy is not in there at all. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. There's four ranks in our crew. You get to pick your rank. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, so let's do a little biblical work here. I mean, you're sitting there going, I know there's something wrong here. And yeah, he twisted Jeremiah 29, 11. I mean, we've pointed out so many people along the years mangling that. Um, you know, in fact, I'm, I think I'll put a link up to uh, an article with this uh, additional resources for today on on uh, explaining how this text gets mangled and what it's really about yeah it's not Jeremiah 29:11 is not promising you a purpose that's not what it's doing at all and yeah <clears throat> I'll explain it in the article that I linked to today but uh, let, let me ask you this question is the reason why god blesses christians is because they work hard and earn his favor and his blessings or they believe and they are declared righteous by faith and that is what makes them children of God and as a result of being a child of God, God cares for and meets their needs because they are believers. Hmm? It's one or the other. Either you're either, you know, applying principles and you're earning God's blessing and, you know, and that perfect health, perfect wealth, and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, all of these things are given to you as a gift. And, oh, by the way, um, the thing that Christ has promised us is eternal life in a new earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're still under the curse right now. But anyway, Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writing against the Judaizing heresy, which is a form of self-righteousness. Yeah, that's right. You keep Torah or you're not saved. Mm-hmm. It says this, O foolish Galatians, this is verse 1, Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Mm -hmm. The answer is by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. So know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Uh huh. All who rely on works of the law. This is Galatians 3.10. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and continually do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come on those, uh, come on to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you kind of get the idea here is, is that over and again, the way these guys talk about God, Oh, God's he's kind of holding out on you. And the reason he's holding out on you is because, well, you're just not doing enough. You haven't applied enough principles. You haven't activated your faith. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't. You've got to, you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to. And it's Hans and Franz Christianity. And they want to get you into the gym so that they can pump you up, right? Yeah. Once again, I'm Hans. Yeah, I'm, I'm Franz. And, and we, we are, are here to pump. You are. Yeah, that's right. So you you want to get the results. You've got to, well, write the check, pay the tithe, send in your offering, plant your seed, apply these principles, do, 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 do. Now, you know, see the thing, do Christians do good works in order to earn God's blessings? No. Christians do good works because they have already been blessed by Christ, by grace, through faith. We are children of God, and we trust our Heavenly Father to meet our needs, and so we do our good works because we are Christians. And see, the sufferings that we go through in this life, maybe physical or financial, you see, Paul himself, I mean, here's the funny thing, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he he's had times of plenty in his life as a Christian, and times when, you know, well, things weren't going so hot. And, uh, and you know, he suffered all kinds of things. In fact, listen to how the Apostle Paul describes his Christian walk. Um, he, he, <laughs> he, he says um, he, he's going to boast. He's doing a little boasting here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and talking about the so-called super apostles who were kind of preaching this type, the exact same kind of message, you know, 
do the things and you too can earn the money and, and have the fame and the fortune and the health and the wealth like they have. You know, this, is the, the, this is the preaching of the uh, super apostles. And um, here's what he says. I'll say this, start at verse 20. Paul is speaking like a fool on purpose. He says, uh, for you bear with it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool here. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one, Paul says. Now I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and a Apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is not? Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? So if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. You see, Christianity, it has been described, and I think this is a good way of describing it, true biblical Christianity is not the life of victory to victory, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. The, peop- the, the parade of people carrying their crosses, they're on their way to their death, not to their earthly victory through perfect health and wealth. And so Christianity, a good way to talk about true biblical Christianity, it's a cruciform, it's a, cruci- it's a cross-shaped life. We are given a cross to bear. We are made to suffer. We suffer persecution. And these sufferings, are we should not see them as somehow, well, oh no, I must not be doing the right things in order to receive the blessings of God. No, you, you actually are probably receiving the difficulties in the cross of the Christian life. And those sufferings produce perseverance and perseverance character. And character, hope. You see, these televangelist types, they, they would have you believe that the normal Christian life is perfect health, perfect wealth, perfect prosperity, you know, all, you know, oh, and, and just life of just, you know, no problems at all. If that's the case, then the Apostle Paul it lived the exact opposite of what true biblical Christianity looks like in the life of a believer. Because you know, he didn't have none of that. Huh. Something, so something's weird here. These guys who are doing this Hans and Franz thing, you know. Once again, I am Hans. Yeah, I am Franz. And we, we are, are here to pop. pop. You are. Yeah, it's as if they've like, well, they're teaching a different Christianity altogether. Hmm. Let's check in with uh, John Hagee. We're still under the uh, money-grubbing televangelist umbrella of our program. But let's check in with John Hagee as he explains to us what we need to do to in order to have promise 
problem, and then provision. Here we go. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? Turn to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verses one through three. Mm, Deuteronomy chapter six. Hmm. That's a strange place to be going here. And, and the reason I say that is because Deuteronomy is, well, Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic Covenant. In fact, this portion of the book of Deuteronomy has some of the fine print regarding the Mosaic Covenant, which is not the covenant of note when it comes to Christianity. The Mosaic Covenant has actually been fulfilled by Christ and has been done away with. It's done. And the Mosaic Covenant is not a covenant of grace. It is a covenant of works. Do these things and you will live. Christianity is, well, under the Abrahamic covenant that that kind of prefigures the new covenant, which is in Christ. We're now under the new covenant, and it's not the Mosaic covenant. You see, you need to keep uh, keep pay attention to your covenants as explained in the book of Galatians. So, okay, we're starting in a bad place. Let's continue, though. As today we begin a sermon series titled Promise Problem Provision. I want to introduce you to a supernatural principle that will open the windows of heaven and bless you with blessings. Mm, A a principle that will bless me with blessings and open the... mm -hmm, Right. The rest of your life that you cannot contain. This supernatural principle will give you, according to the Word of God, wells you didn't dig, houses you didn't build, vineyards you did not plant. It will dramatically improve your walk with Christ. It will. <laughs> so the way you improve your walk with Christ is through material blessings. Hmm, that sounds sketchy. Prove your marriage, your mental health. It'll improve your marriage and mental health. Are you nuts? Business, and it will light a rocket under your potential for your personal success. Uh huh. <laughs> Color me skeptical. How many of you would be interested in that? Let me see your hand. Oh, yeah. Everyone's hands going up. You're scratching, itching ears here by twisting God's word. The principle is called promise problem provision. Really? Who calls it that? I'm not familiar with anybody calling it that except for you. Did you discover it? series is about God keeping his promises. But more than that, it's about you learning how to activate the promises of God. Okay, so I have to, quote-unquote, activate the promises of God. So God's promises, they require activation. Got it. This is a treasure house of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. There are 3,000-plus gold mines in here. He's... Pointing to an open Bible. And once you learn to untap them, it will enrich you in every dimension of your life. All right. See, you, you, the reason why you don't have perfect health, wealth, your business is flailing, your kids are misbehaved, your wife is not happy with you, it, it's because you haven't activated the, the important principle of promise problem provision. Right, yeah, you know, because, you know, Peter talks about it in, um, no, Peter never talked about it. Um, Jesus talked about the, this 
no, he never talked about it either. Um, I'm sure one of the New Testament guys talked about it somewhere. This is the pearl of great price hidden in your bedroom underneath the television guide. This is the thing that will bring you the greatest joy, the greatest dimension of... Yeah, I thought that, you know, the church was the pearl of great price, that Christ sacrificed everything in order to get... ...says that you will ever know. Do you keep promises? How many of you have had a promise broken to you? How many of you have broken a promise yourself? Amazingly honest group, by the way. I heard the story of a woman by the name of Mary who recently lost her husband and she had him cremated and she brought his ashes home. She picked up the urn that he was in and poured him out on the living room floor. She said, Bob... This is all about keeping promises. You know about that dishwasher that you promised me? Well, I bought it with the insurance money. And you know the new car that you promised me? Well, I now have that. It's parked in the garage with the insurance money. And you know that big, beautiful diamond ring that you were always going to buy, but you never quite got around to it? Well, I bought that. One a little bigger, as a matter of fact with that insurance money. And finally, as she traced her fingers through the ashes, she said, Bob, you remember that new vacuum cleaner I always wanted? She said, well, here it comes. Yeah, everyone's still standing because they're waiting for him to read the word of God. Promises. God never breaks a promise. We- oh, oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, let's see if you've uh, taken God's promises and misapplied them. He does not. I guarantee you that this three-sermon series will be absolutely exciting. And if you learn how to apply this divine principle, you're going to have the ability to transform your problems into divine provisions which is a.k.a. success for the rest of your life. Oh, wow, yeah, success for the whole rest of your life. There you go, folks. It's based upon the promises and the faithfulness of the Word of God. Read with me Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. Ready? Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. All right, a little bit of a quick question here. Who is God speaking to? Mm -hmm. This would be the children of Israel. This is Mosaic Covenant. Now, let me help you out here. Uh, Galatians chapter 3. I left off at uh, verse 14. And let me back up just a little bit. So I'll back up to Galatians 3.13 so you can see what's going on here. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, not Moses, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit 
through faith. Now, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, think contract here, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, we understand that once the ink has been put on the contract, you can't go back and change the contract. Once you sign it, it's a done deal, okay? Both parties have to agree to any changes once it's been signed. So now, the promises were made to, watch this, Abraham and to his seed, his offspring. It does not say offsprings or seeds, referring to many, but to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, and this is the Mosaic Covenant, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant that was previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Uh Uh-huh. So why then was the law? You can think Mosaic Covenant. Why was the Mosaic Covenant given? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So is the law then contrary to the promises of God? And notice he's talking to the promises given to Abraham. Well, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs according to a promise. Now, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, he is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also... When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You're a son. And if you are a son, you are an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. And he's talking about the fact that the Judaizers had taught the Galatians to observe 
all of the feast days of the Mosaic Covenant, right? The Sabbaths and the new moons and all that kind of stuff. And Paul is worried here. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. So what then has become of your blessedness? For I testified that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. That's the Mosaic covenant, folks. She is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the child of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but we are children of the free woman. You starting to see it here? So notice John Hagee's in Deuteronomy 6. He's reading from the Mosaic Covenant as if we Christians somehow can tap into the, well, those aren't promises. Those are earned blessings. If you do this, then God will do that. But Paul then says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't again submit to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to everyone who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Interesting stuff. We continue. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Father, bless this word to this congregation and let us learn this divine principle 
that our life may be filled with love and joy and peace and the unlimited success that God gives to the righteous. Unlimited success. That's right. He's t- this, these are the promises of the Mosaic Covenant. If you obey, then you. It's law. It's not gospel. All of God's children said, praise the Lord. You may be seated. Let's establish the basics of concept. This is Mount Sinai. This trail around Sinai is the worn out area that the tribes of Israel wore out as they went around and around Sinai before they decided obeying the Lord was the right way. God gave them a promise. I'm going to give you... Yeah, you're not telling the story of the Exodus properly at all. Um, The reason why they went around the wilderness, and it wasn't Mount Sinai itself, but the wilderness was because of their unbelief. The 12 spies that went to spy in Canaan, they didn't believe and trust God. Um, Yeah, and so that whole generation was told that they wouldn't enter the promised land. Mm Mm-hmm. Took them 40 years for them all to die. Yeah, so you're not telling the story of the Exodus properly at all. A land flowing with milk and honey. That promise was over 430 years old. How many of you believe? Yeah, and see, that's the thing. It was given to Abraham by a promise. Again, you're not paying attention to your covenants here because you're reading the fine print of the Mosaic Covenant, yet you just invoked Abraham that after 430 years, you ought to be able to get it. Mm. The Bible has been written, by the way, over a thousand years, and there are 3,000 reasons in there for everyone here to rejoice. So this is Mount Sinai. And every time they disobeyed God, they just went in one huge circle. Yeah, no, that's not even Mount Sinai, and that's not what was going on there, dude. You are utterly deceiving these people. Finally they came. This is the Jordan River, and I assure you it's not nearly that pretty. That they were getting ready to go over into the promised land. But because they could not receive the provision, one whole generation died in the wilderness because they would not accept the provision of God. Uh, no, they refuse to believe and trust God. The promise, the problem, the provision. Therein is where most Christians do not enjoy the rich resources of God because they take, cannot take that last step to receive the provision. Oh, that's the problem. I, I never knew that. What is the last step exactly? Now, let's start with this. The greater the promise, the greater the problem. Say that with me. The gre- uh-huh. That's not what the Bible says. You're not exegeting a text. The greater the promise, the greater the problem. If God gives you a million-dollar promise, you're going to have a million-dollar problem. We like million-dollar promises and ten-dollar problems. It doesn't work that way. Uh-huh, yeah. This guy's just making up his own theology, literally rolling it and smoking it. How you react to the problem determines how long you stay in the problem. Ah, 
There you go. So if you react properly, you, you get out of it quicker. Says no biblical text anywhere. And this is based upon his false setup regarding the Exodus. Now, we're not going to be able to get to Jesse Duplantis. Let's just finish this out a little bit with John Hagee. But are you tired yet? When you disobey God, he doesn't wring his hands and say, oh, my goodness. He just turns up the heat. Your life will be measured by the problems you solve or the problems you create. You can- wow. This is super heavy law. And what I just read out in Galatians 3 and 4 utterly contradicts what he's saying. Stay in the problem for 40 years like the children of Israel in the wilderness. Yeah, they stayed in there for 40 years because God was punishing the older generation for their unbelief. Or you can stay there for 40 days like Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. The majority fail to see the problem as sent from God. They become bitter, they become resentful, they complain, they whine, they murmur, and they live forever in the problem because they can't see this as God asking them to check what's in their life. So don't make a career out of your problem. Keep your eye on the prize, the provision, the promised land. God has a promised land for every person sitting in this auditorium. Yeah, that's funny because Hebrews 11 makes it clear that the promised land that God has for all Christians, new earth, new Jerusalem, after Jesus returns, you're promising them something different, like, you know, the promised land of success now in their business. That's not what's promised. He has a perfect will, a something he wants to do. In oh, your yeah, the dream destiny thingy, yeah. Life, in your business, in your home, with your marriage. He has something special he wants to do, but you've got to focus on the sovereign, perfect will of God. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. Let's take a look at Hebrews 11, and then we'll wrap up hour number one. We're well past the... Uh, the hour mark, though. But, yeah, let's take a look. Abra Hebrews uh, 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him who had prom him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the immeasurable, innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, um, they didn't. They died not receiving the promise because the promised land is the new Jerusalem, the new earth, Christ as King, visibly where we can see Him. 
Um, so we got a major problem here, and that is John Hagee's got all these people. Got, they're going to be obeying and doing what they need to do in order to have their promised land. But the problem is their promised land is not what the promised land of the Bible actually is. And so he's promising them something that God didn't promise them. Oh, wow, that's a problem. Yeah, they won't be getting the provision they need for their so-called promised land because he's reading out the fine print of the Mosaic Covenant, which has been done away with because Christ has appeared, and basically putting these people under bondage to the law and get them get that obedience up so that you can finally once and for all get those good blessings from God. That's right. You got to go to the gym and Hans and Franz. Well, you know what they're going to do. I'm Hans. Yeah, I'm Franz, and we are here to pop your heart. Yeah, that's right. Hans and Franz will get them to the promised provision. They'll bump them up so they'll be obedient so they can finally have God's blessings. Yeah, you starting to see the problem here? I mean, yeah, this is a total confusion of law and gospel and not paying attention to which covenants are the covenants of note as far as we Christians are concerned, as well as, yeah, not even paying attention to what the promised land is. <laughs> this is a big problem here, and that's over and again what we see from all of these televangelists and all these people promising people health, wealth, prosperity, and a purpose now, and all this kind of stuff. It all depends on you. It's not a promise. It's something you earn by your obedience. Total confusion of law and gospel and a twisting of God's word. I think you're getting the picture now. Let's take our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfighting.com. ForTheFaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're heading to Woodland Hills Church to learn how to engage in proper time management. Oh, man, we're going to pump you up, folks. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two of fighting for the faith. I hope I hope your spiritual muscles are really sore. Trying to work you out here. Make you worthy of God's blessings. Gotta get your act together. Straighten up. God can't bless you until you clean up your act. That's not what Christianity teaches. Yeah, let's continue. Bum, bum, bum. Bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. Word equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Woodland Hills Church. David Morrow presiding. The name of the sermon is Time. Spend it well. Are you a procrastinator? Are you a squanderer of time? Oh, don't worry. Hans and Franz are going to pump you up. And they're going to get you to spend your time properly. Get that flabby, no good, procrastinating spiritual carcass off the ground. And get moving. (laughs) I think you get the point. Let me back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is David Morrow and uh, time. Spend it well. Here we go. So good to be here. Uh, I'm here anyway, so this is fun. One of the things Josh did not tell you, which I think is so cool, is he's also going on that missions trip with his with his kiddo, which I think is so cool. And the shirts they're wearing, and this is my plug, and this beautiful mug could all be yours for uh, uh, a suggested donation of some amount. So uh, they're also using those as a way to raise funds um, for the missions trip. And then also we'll certainly just take cash. That's uh, always okay. So I love Woodland Hills. 
This is such a great place. I, our family has called this home for about a decade now, and there's so many reasons I love this place, but one of them is it aligns in so many ways with what I do at the mission. Uh, not only are there a bunch of my friends from the mission here, but there's also a heartbeat around this place towards caring for those that are wrestling with homelessness, addiction, counseling, wanting job training, all sorts of stuff. So I, the heartbeat of this place lines up so closely with the heartbeat of what I do every day at the mission. So I just love it. It's such a cool thing. So I'm grateful to get to be here. We have quite a few things to talk about, you and I. Uh, but we are in the final week of our Entrusted series. So this Entrusted series is based on the idea that every good gift we've been given is a gift that God has given us. And that the nature of this God is an all-giving, self-sacrificial, loving God. And so if that's the type of God we serve, then that's the way we should be using the gifts that he gives us, by giving them away. So our job is to use them well, give them well, and do it in a way that's going to honor the king who we're following. Now, if any of you were here last week who were following, Hmm. notice um, this sounds gospel-y, kind of like gospel-flavored, right? But this is uber-heavy on law, but the problem is it's not even biblical law. Um, Hmm... Yeah. Okay. So that you know, so the kindness of God is just an example for us to obey. Got it. We talked about treasure, money that we've been entrusted with, and if you're anything like my wife and I, you went home and realized, oh, there's some line items we kind of messed up this month. Yeah. Notice this. Apparently, he's talking about the experience of of well, feeling that he hasn't measured up. He's convicted. Yeah, that's kind of a function of what God's law does. Now, if you're going to preach law, you better preach gospel because the two go together. The law shows you where you've come up short, and the gospel assures you of the mercy and the forgiveness of God and Christ. Um, If the problem is you, you haven't done what you ought to do, the solution is not, according to Scripture, just get busy doing what you got to do. It's repent. Be forgiven, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And this is, in many ways, the second part of this topic, but we're going to be talking about time. And I'm going to say what Greg said last week, which was, if there's any part of this that is convicting, just know I've been convicted with it for the last couple weeks. All right, yeah, so we're going to get lots and lots and lots and lots of law. Welcome. To the fun. Now, time is a gift. And if you're anything like me, though, sometimes time does not feel like a gift. Sometimes it feels like it's getting away from me. There's just not enough of it. I, I, I've got to go here with my kids. I need to do this at work. I need to go to this birthday party. I have to watch these three series on Netflix. I'm very busy. There's a lot of things that I just got to get done. And so the question is, if time is a gift, why does it not feel like that sometimes? What is it about time 
that can just feel overwhelming. And as I yeah, could you give me the text that talks about time as a gift? Looking into this, I started reading an article that was an interview with a guy named Dallas Willard. Anybody a Dallas Willard fan in here? Nope, not a Dallas Willard fan. He was a philosopher and um, he was the gateway drug into the emergent church for a lot of folks. Um, total train wreck. Um, yeah, I mean, it, his his philosophy um, really shipwrecked a lot of people's faith. Woo! All right. So, uh, so Dallas Willard, among many things, uh, uh, he recently passed away, but he was a philosophy professor. But he's written a lot about the kingdom of God and about spiritual practices. So if there's one person I personally would want to hear, how do you do this Jesus-looking life from, I'd want to know what. How do you do this Jesus-looking life? You're going to look to, to Dallas Willard, and what a weird category. Um, wow. He thinks. So somebody asked him that, which I thought was very convenient for this moment. And he responded to them and said, the key to spiritual growth is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, wow. That sounds like something he read in a fortune cookie. Um, do you have biblical text that says that? Because that sounds like Dallas Willard's philosophy, not biblical theology or doctrine. Ugh. So the guy who was doing the interview, he wrote it all down. He said, that's quotable. I'm going to write that down. And then he said, okay, Dallas, what next? What else do I have to do? And Dallas looks at him and says, that's it. That's it. I got nothing else. And the reason he says that is because if you don't get that right, the rest is sunk. That we live in a culture that the most common response I get if I ask somebody, hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Oh, I'm real busy, though. I'm fine. Though. I'm, I'm busy. Pretty busy. There's just a lot going on. Or how you doing? I'm busy, 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 busy. It's just, there's just a lot. And the thing I've realized is that this is not how it's always been. Like, this is even unique culturally to us from other parts of the world and certainly unique in the, the time period we're in right now. So I thought I would show you what did the answer to the question, how you doing, look like 150 years ago. So here's a quote from a guy named Henry David Thoreau. See if uh, this resembles what you would say. I love a broad margin in life. Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in reverie. <laughs> Amen. Anybody know what reverie means? I had to look that one up. It, uh, it means imaginative thought while awake. So pretty much, he spent from morning till lunch daydreaming. And that was his day. Oh. So on the one hand, I'd be thinking, oh. I want that. And on the other hand, I'd be thinking, what a bum. Like, would you get up and do something already? So it's like these two mixtures in my head trying to figure out what to do. So I, so I jumped ahead about 100 years to say, okay, did this idea of busyness change from 1850 to about 1967? And because I know this is enthralling for you, I've brought a little snippet from a Senate subcommittee hearing. So just... Get fired up. So this is part from a Time article. So uh, this is from Time magazine. It says, yeah, no scripture yet. 
Computers, satellites, robotics, and other wizardries, they promised to make the American workers so much more efficient that income and GNP would rise while work weeks shrink. In a 1967 testimony before a Senate subcommittee indicated that by 1985, people would be working just 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, or could just retire at age 38. And that would leave the only great challenge of finding a way to enjoy all that leisure. Isn't it nice? What did you guys do with all the extra leisure this week? What I've realized is I get to retire in three years, which is I really need to plan more. My favorite word in that article is wizardries, because it reminds me of like Harry Potter. But I think, I think that was the 50-year-old definition of an iPhone or something, this like fancy wizardry. They didn't know what to do with it. And the crazy thing is that obviously that hasn't happened, that... Technology, progress, innovation, promised freedom, speed, and efficiency, and has not delivered. Which I've heard is the definition of sin. Promising something, it'll never deliver. Hmm. So what is our culture like now? I, I was trying to think of uh, how could we demonstrate if 150 years ago we were wrapped in reverie and 50 years ago we were going to only be working 22 hours a week, what are we doing now instead? So check out this minute-long commercial and see what you think. Yes! Oh, we are a mess. Oh, my gosh. Oh. What is most astounding to me about that is that The American dream, in many ways, if you notice, he nuanced it, that it wasn't about the stuff anymore. It was about the productivity piece that the stuff is a byproduct of. And that the value was about busyness, about doing, about going, about being on the move. Not so much about getting all the stuff. That was just a pleasant byproduct for him. So I wonder... Really, are we that much busier? Or have we just stopped learning how to say no? I don't know. Um, so my wife and I, we moved recently. We used to live in this house that was in northeast Minneapolis. Are, are you going to actually open a biblical text? Um, or is this a TED Talk on time management and efficiency? And uh, some of you might know what I mean by this, but it was one of those houses that would be loosely referred to as having character. Do you guys know what I mean by that? It had a lot of character, which, which meant like when we moved in there, I'd never been in a 110-year-old house that had character, and I needed to hang something on the wall. So I took a nail, I hid it into the wall, and this had never happened. The mail the nail disappeared, and then I heard the, like, crackling and crumbling down behind it. And I thought to myself, oh, boy, this is going to be an adventure. And so, but what I, one of the projects I had to do, and I've decided I'm going to do some projects because I'm a grown-up now. And one of the things that needed to happen was my daughter, in her closet, she had this big fluorescent light that needed to be changed. And I thought, 
okay, it's not rocket science. I could change a big fluorescent light unit. So I take the fluorescent light fixture off the wall, and per normal, I pay absolutely no attention to what wires were connected where when I did it. So just take it off. I'll deal with that problem later. And then I go to the hardware store, and I'm the kind of person that when I do a project... If the project should take one or two trips to the hardware store, I'm there a good half dozen. So after my like fifth or sixth trip and I have all my gear back home, I walk up to the wall where I had taken the other one off, not paying attention at all. And what I see is on two ends, there are three wires coming out on two ends, which seems strange. But then I, on my, the fixture I got, there were two wires coming uh, out on each side. So I thought, three, three, two, two. If two is good, five is better. Let's just connect them all. So what I did is I connected them all together, used one of those screwy things that I had to get on my third trip to the hardware store, and then put it back up on the wall, get the, my new fluorescent bulb in there, that I, cause I had the wrong size, so hardware store trip number four was get the right size, and then I'm about to go get my wife to get, you know, Good job. And I go downstairs to turn on the breaker. (laughs) Some people know more than I do. So what happened is this interesting noise that went something like this. And then all the electricity in my house disappeared, which was a really pleasant experience. And I learned a lot of things from this moment many of which have nothing to do with what we're talking about, but about the need to just hire things out. But one of the things I learned that relates to what we're talking about is that when you stop the flow of something, it'll blow a circuit. Like when I connected all those, I honestly still have no... You're drawing an application from your inability to understand basic home wiring idea. I know that didn't work, but I don't know how to fix that still. But I know that when I did that, it made all the energy go to one spot and essentially create a mini bomb right in my daughter's closet because the energy couldn't flow anywhere. There was no flow to it. And the nature of any gift of which time is one of them is that the whole point of it is to flow through you for the good of somebody else. Right, because electricity needs to flow. Time being a gift needs to flow. (laughs) Okay. To the degree that we hoard that, we are not acting out of right relatedness to how God wants us to be using our time. Does that make sense? So, thank you. That was nice. (laughs) We have limited capacity. I don't know if anybody's told you that recently. It's not part of the American mantra, but you can't do it all. And to the degree that we try and do it, we overload the system. We overload ourselves and then we miss out on what we're actually called to do. And there's a story in the Bible that really gets at this in a much more profound way. So we're going to take a look at a passage in Exodus 18, which is a story about the life of Moses and ultimately the life of the Israelite people. So Exodus 18, the people have recently come out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They are in the wilderness at the foot of Mount Sinai. And now picture this. There's about a million people is the guess. Most people estimate a million people. Imagine being the leader, Moses, of a million people in a desert, and at least half of them are really annoyed at you. 
This is not a pleasant situation, and it's about to get even more unpleasant for him. So Exodus 18, here's how it starts. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. Huh. Do you notice anything strange? After Moses sent away Zipporah and her two sons, something about Moses' life had become so unmanageable, he couldn't be a dad and he couldn't be a husband. That's ridiculous. I have been preaching through the book of Exodus. Those of you who have been following along will note this. God met and spoke with Moses at the burning bush, sent him back to Egypt to collect up the children of Israel and bring them out of slavery. It's not that he was so busy he couldn't be dad and husband. He went away on a trip where he was on an assignment, you know, to bring the children of Israel out of slavery. His wife and sons stayed back in Midian because God said that he would bring the children of Israel to Mount Sinai, which was where the burning bush was. Oh my word, this guy is clueless. Something had pulled him away. And now he gets the added pleasure of the person reminding him that that had happened of his father-in-law. Yay! Who loves unwanted advice from their father-in-law? Everybody. So let's see where it goes next. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. (laughs) They're, They're also his, but Jethro was not acknowledging that. Uh, sometimes I think there's passive aggressiveness in the Bible, but we don't get to see it because we don't hear the tone. So, oh man, utterly clueless here. He's just ignored the fact that God sent him on a mission. Wow! Imagine passive aggressive. Okay, so something happened where Moses could not be the dad and the husband he was supposed to be, and we're about to find out what it is. So. This is this is so uh, this is so bad. It's unbelievable. Here's the next part. A few verses later, it says the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. They stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, no, that was not keeping Moses from being dad and husband. They literally just crossed the Red Sea. Right before this chapter. Good night. This is is so bad. He said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Now, Moses is now being called out by his father-in-law. And he's being called out about a blind spot. Now, I have no idea how they did this research, but it's science, so it must be true, that everybody has a minimum of 3.2 blind spots. 
I'm not sure how they came up with that, but the definition of a blind spot is something that you don't know that you're not good at, which is a little disturbing because it means you need somebody else to tell you your blind spots. You can't know them on your own. And I made the mistake of asking one of my friends at work what my blind spots were. Ugh. So I asked, and she very quickly told me, which was a little disturbing, that she said, you know, David, uh, thanks for asking. And the, one of the things I've seen in you is that when you're in a meeting where you think you know what should be done. All right. So, David, here's your big blind spot. You don't know how to rightly handle God's word, and you think you do. You act pretty arrogant. And you know what you have to do when somebody tells you your blind spot? You say, thank you. Thank you so much. So Moses just gets called out about his blind spot by his father-in-law, no less. So let's see how Moses responds to being called out. Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Take that, father-in-law. Do you notice how it says, That's not what's going on here. You're twisting the text. Come to me, brought to me, and I decide. Who is this all about? It's all about Moses. One of the lures I've found in leadership and in life is the lure when you feel indispensable. It feels good. It feels so good. That feeling that somebody said thank you when I did something. Somebody agreed with me. And my experience is that people agree with me and say thank you at work more than home. (laughs) That sometimes my kids, and I know this is going to shock you, they don't say thank you all the time. It's this strange thing that we can get lured in to what might not be the place we should be serving because we're getting the accolades. It feels better. And then you don't question whether it's right. It's the sense of, if I don't do this, it is not going to happen. If I don't do this, it's not going to happen. And somewhere in there, we miss the fact that God is the one that's actually supposed to make it happen, not us. Um, Yeah, they're giving applause to this, and this is a completely ignorant mishandling of this text. Oh, let's see where Jethro goes with this. Maybe he'll just ease off. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. (laughs) You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it. Listen now to me, and I'll give you some advice. Dummy, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they're to live and how they are to behave. So he gets called out. And what I have found is that sometimes the most important thing we can do is say no to the thing that is good so we can say yes to the thing that God is actually calling us to. Because in the next chapter, that's when... Moses actually pays attention to God saying, Moses, come up on the mountain. 
I got some stuff to talk to you about. Oh, it's about time that Moses finally paid attention to God. I mean, the whole story from Exodus 3 all the way to 19, Moses was just ignoring, 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 ignoring God and never listened to him once. This is utter ignorance. And that's when the Ten Commandments are given. And I've wondered how many times had God come to Moses and said, Moses, come on up on the mountain. And Moses says, ah, kind of busy. I got like a thousand people and it's up to me. Oh, my word. Moses didn't say that once. You are utterly clueless about what the story of the Bible is and the story of the Exodus is. Just read the first 20 chapters in context. I don't. Nobody will. Nobody can. How could I trust anybody to do this job? And he missed the fact that God actually wanted to meet with him and tell him something that he needed to know. <laughs> this, is, this is so clueless. <laughs> This is in, in, in a second Exodus, apparently. Yeah, there's another version of Exodus. Uh, second Exodus teaches us that, yeah, Moses, he was a narcissistic, you know, kind of control freak leader, dude. And, uh, and God was, for like decades, trying to get him to come up to Mount Sinai so he can reveal the Ten Commandments to him. But Moses was, you know, he had no time for that, man. Yeah, it's in second Exodus. Yeah. Oh. Church, Woodland Hills, this is, um, uh, like I said, it convicts me before it convicts you. And what are you exactly convicted of here? The thing is, there is way too much at stake for us to deal with the little thing when God is calling you to something else. Right, way, way too much at stake. I have no idea what he's talking about because he's not even remotely handling this text properly at all. Um, this is just clueless, utterly clueless. There is way, way, way too much at stake to try and miss this great thing that God wants to tell you, but instead settle for this other thing. And you know, the, the trouble is the only way we know that, the only way we know there's something else is when we actually slow down long enough to listen. And we can't hear it if we're not listening. And we can't listen if we're just filling up life with other things. There's way, way too much at stake. Yeah, apparently we're just not being quiet enough to hear our dream destiny thingy whispered into our ears by our God. Right, yeah. I want to try and flesh this out in a little bit of a different way. So, it's science time. All right. Now, by the way, in the upcoming Roseboro's Ramblings Through Exodus, we're going to uh, be walking through this text, and I'm going to be demonstrating that in type and shadow, it's actually pointing to the pastoral ministry. Yeah, I'll, you're going to have to just stay tuned. It'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks. But uh, this, I'm not going to you know, go beyond that at this point. Somehow turning this into a leadership fable in the importance of the delegation of work misses the whole point of the text. Here we go. Oh, we're going to see how this works because my bucket leaked in the 9 o'clock service. <laughs> Sorry, whoever had to clean that up. Um, this bucket. This is your life. That's it. It's all you get. We can't make it bigger. We can't make it smaller. We fill it with 
whatever we're going to fill it with. Now, I'm going to pick out a few things I want to put in here. The first one I'm going to put in here is my relationship with God. And this should be the bedrock of everything. So he's putting rocks into this bucket, a yeah, big rock, uh, his relationship with God. I fill my time with. This should be the thing that I focus on each day because the reality is those commercials, we see thousands of those all the time that tell us everything about who we are other than what God thinks. And to the degree that we're not getting this, we're going to just leech after whatever life we're told we can get somewhere else. So this goes in first. And then we've got some critical relationships, the people that are closest to us, the ones that we need to remind us who we are, the ones we trust with our blind spots. So I'm going to put that in. And then there's also meaningful work. And whether it's paid work or work you do volunteering, God has something critical for everyone in here to be doing for the kingdom of God. So I'm going to put that one in here. Looks pretty full, right? There's always room. So we have school. Um, I just started a PhD program like three weeks ago, so I'm pretty bored. I hope you're going to get a PhD in actual proper exegesis and hermeneutics because I think you need it. And the there's also like family birthday parties. And exercise, I've heard you're supposed to do that. If you, Oh, I got a few more for the CrossFit crowd. A few extra ones in there. Um, I think we're supposed to sleep. So, let's jam them in there. Does that look pretty full? All right. There's always room, isn't there? Sand. So we've got things like taxes, house projects, which take me the remainder of this sand. We have laundry, meal prep, groceries. We're really having fun now. What else do we have? Yeah, it's getting pretty full. Huh, okay. Does it look full? There's always room. This little pitcher of water is dedicated to Netflix. (laughs) Netflix. Thank you for stealing my nights. And Facebook and Twitter... And Instagram, oh, oh, how I love thee. Oh, now is it full? (laughs) No, it is. Um, So what is the point of this madness? Oh, I showed you my tape side. I wasn't supposed to show you the tape there. Um, Here's the deal. Remember those big rocks I put in? They will never fit unless they go in first. Your time with God, 
your time with the people that are most important to you, that will tell you what really is going on, that work that God has given you to do, they will never fit in here if you don't put them in first. And the thing I've also seen is that we have this. Notice, this is all about what you got to do, dude. This isn't even biblical law. It's just, it's some kind of law because you got to do something. You got to, 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 you got to. And this is like utterly missing the whole point of what's going on in the Exodus. And he's totally lied about Moses and what Moses was about. Massive tendency to invert things, that we turn the water and the sand into the big rocks. And, oh, oh, does it steal from us. It's one of the reasons why what we do with our money and what we do with our time are two of the most critical kingdom indicators of how we're doing in our relationship with God. So have you let God audit your calendar recently? Do you know where all the time goes? One of the great mysteries is what happens with the eight hours that is not sleep and not work. You know, there's 24 of those in a day, and there's this mysterious eight that disappears somewhere. I'd encourage you to spend some time seeing where it went. Did it go in a place that you would feel comfortable with, that you think God would say, well done? I feel good about that. Hmm. So... I have a few things I would like to share with you just as a takeaway uh, in wrapping up time. And for those of you that immediately look at the clock, we're still going to go till 12.15. So here's the deal. I was in Jamaica a month ago, and Jamaica is better than Minnesota. And I was golfing, which is better than Minnesota right now. And we were, we had, my brother-in-law and I had this cart and this golf cart, when we got in it, it started going forward. Then it immediately went like this. And so then we'd have to pull it back and then it would immediately go like this. And so we kept having to just correct it to actually go forward. And the things I want to share with you as a takeaway are in many ways, the things we need to be doing on a consistent basis to realign ourselves against what the culture is telling us we should do with our time versus what is more of a kingdom oriented way to think about our time. So my prayer is that these would help us realign how we think about life. Yet we haven't heard anything about the actual kingdom or the king. It just we're, we're going to get kingdom alignment because, of course, we're going to do the pious sounding thing. We're going to allow God to do an audit of our time. <laughs> Turn Jesus into an IRS agent. Well, let's take a look. Whoa, look at that. What what were you doing over here? You know, uh-huh. You know, so this is law, 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 law. Are you tired yet? So the first one is slowing and solitude. Yeah, have you done enough slowing and solitude yet? I mean, if you haven't, I mean, yeah, you're letting Jesus down, man. Slowing and solitude. And slowing is this daily ritual and tool you can put in place where you intentionally try and back off from the hurry. So, like, for me, what that means is, like, when I go to Costco... Yeah, can you show me where Jesus or one of the apostles or one of the prophets actually taught the technique of slowing? And you walk up to the experience that is the 89 lines you can check out in. What 
if, this is my problem, I walk up there and I, not only do I look for the shortest line, but I immediately assess the competency of the person checking you out in that line. Amen. So, <laughs> we all have problems. So, what, what if we decided, I'm just going to take the long line today. And when they open the new line and everybody's... Oh man, life transformation. What if I took the long line rather than the short one? I've never considered this mind-blowing technique of, of becoming more Jesus-like. Jumping for it, you just say, ah, go ahead. Just go ahead. It's crazy, but it actually, like, it, it can help us release from this. What if you stayed in the right lane all week? Ah, <laughs> uh, and you're reminded that people are crazy and so are you. What if the next road trip you took, you took the scenic route? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if you actually rightly handled the biblical text, properly distinguished between law and gospel, preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins, placarded Christ and him crucified for our sins? What if? It's really pretty when you do it. I'm reminded that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. (laughs) Saying no to the right things so that we can focus on what we should. And solitude. Uh, One of my favorite authors, Henry Nowing, about solitude, he says, In solitude, I remove all of my scaffolding. And the scaffolding is all the things I define myself. So this guy is a Roman Catholic mystic fan, uh, Henry Nowing. By other than what God says. It's time when I'm away, I don't have a watch, I don't know what time it is, and I don't get to be director of chaplains, I don't get to be husband, I don't get to be dad, I don't get to be PhD student, I don't get to be anything other than child of God. And then I realize that's actually enough. That God honestly does not need your help to keep the world running. He's very, very good at it. Uh, Another quote I love is from Aesop's fable, and uh, it says... If you, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. So can you picture the bow? You're stretching it out. If you keep stretching it out for long enough, it'll eventually snap. So sometimes with our life, we just need to release the pressure. And remember that we are made for something more than just doing. So that's the first thing, slowing in solitude. The second encouragement and takeaway I would have for you is plan for the interruptions. I've been really convicted about this recently as I was reading the Gospels. And what I noticed reading the Gospels is that most of the stories that are most profound to me in the Gospels, I would have probably called an interruption. You've got stuff like Jesus walking from one spot to the other, a blind beggar yells at him and says, son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus doesn't do what I might do, which is I got something to do. Got to go. Tell me about that son of God who has mercy on people. I'd like to hear about him. And he walks over and he heals him. You've got, he's, he's the next time he's going 
to raise somebody from the dead, which I think that would be an excuse for pretty much any distraction. But a woman grabs his coat because she's been bleeding for 13 years. And Jesus stops what he's doing and focuses on her. And then the most annoying is Jesus, I imagine, is right in the middle of one of the best sermons he's ever given. He's got this, like, lather going. He's about to hit the high note. And then these four dudes drop a guy down from the ceiling right in the middle of his sermon. I'm trying to imagine, like, how I would react if that happened right now. Ah. Now, another way to think of this interruptions is margin. Margin. Margin is the annoyed feeling I get walking onto the airplane while I'm on my way back to the steerage section, and you walk past first class. And you know what they do? I think they do it just when you're there, is they kind of wiggle in their seat and kind of show how much extra room they have just to taunt you. Margin is having more room than you need. It's more space than is required. There's a book by Richard Swenson called Margin, and here's how he defines margin. Margin is the space between our... Is Richard Swenson a, uh, one of the apostles? Was he a prophet? Can I, where do I find his writings in the scripture? Ode and our limits. It's the amount beyond that which is needed. It's something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion, the space between breathing freely and suffocating. What would happen if you got to the end of a month and had more money than you needed? I know it's a, it's a fairy tale, but it could happen. <laughs> what would happen if you got to the end of a day and you had more energy than required to do the work? What would happen if you got to the end of your life and had time for when somebody walks up to you and needs something? What would happen if he actually rightly handled a biblical text and pointed people to Jesus? What would happen if he, had, he taught what was in accord with sound doctrine? Hmm, what would happen if? Because the reason we move towards margin is for the other. Because So you notice this whole thing has been nothing but you gotta, 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 you gotta la, 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 no law and gospel. And, you know, so you're, you've been convicted because you're not doing the right thing. And so the solution is you've got to get margin, you've got to, you know, get in the slow lane, you got to do the solitude thingy, and oh, you got to, you got to, you got to. And so you, you're, you're literally going to leave church with this ginormous list, and you know what's going to happen when you show up next week? Another list. If I don't have margin, every distraction is going to be incomprehensible for me to deal with, because I just got to go, 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 and go. So we... We work towards margin because ultimately we want to be this conduit that Jesus was in his time and in his, um, his life. So we need to build margin and plan for interruptions. And then finally, 
we need to put the big rock in first. Because obviously it won't fit. And fittingly, we're leaking again. Because it, it always... Yeah, so put the big rock in first. Yeah, that would be the relationship with God rock into your bucket. Leaks somewhere, doesn't it? We got to put the big rocks in first. Do you know what they are for you? If you were to do an audit on your time, would you feel comfortable with where it's going? Yeah, about as comfortable as I would with having the IRS crawling through all of my finances. Are the things you value the most put in first? Because here's the deal. Everything you already you need, God says you already have. That if you are in Christ... You are a new creation. You are holy. You are seated in the heavenly places. You are a friend of God, and you can't do anything about that. You can't earn it. You can't work harder for it. You can't anything. Yeah, sounds something close to the gospel. It's all free. And what I want is to live my life around who I want to become, not what I want to get done that I want to become the best possible follower of Jesus I can be. I want, I want. This is not a uh, sermon that is teaching actual biblical sanctification. I want to become the best dad I can be. I want to become the best husband I can possibly be. Because let me tell you, when I'm dying on my deathbed somewhere... I'm not going to be all that interested to have my colleagues come around me and say, hey, good job being a manager. That was great. I really appreciated that. What I want are those relationships that I delve deeply into that are the core of who I want to become. So we, we need to realign. We need to realign against the culture. We also need to realign spiritually. Because let me tell you, Satan would love it if we focus on the sand. And we focus on the water and we miss the rest. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And I'm going to end with this. And he talked about, it's this dialogue between the senior demon and another demon. And they're talking about essentially how to, how to get us off track. And here's what their conversation looked like. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering, another fun word, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. And in parentheses, um, here's the annoying statistic of the day. We spend, on average, an hour looking for what show we're going to watch on a day. That's the national average. Staring at a dead fire in a cold room. An hour. So that at last he may say, as one of my patients said on his arrival down here, and he's talking about in hell, I now see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor what I like. Friends, the only lasting way to eliminate hurry is to constantly get your life from Christ. The only lasting way to eliminate hurry is to constantly be getting your life renewed, renewed, renewed from Christ. Yeah, it would have been awesome if you had renewed them with a proper biblical teaching and proclamation of Christ and what he's done for them. So, 
Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray. Done. Yeah, sorry. Don't want to hear you pray. Wow. What a train wreck. So there you go. Yeah, you know, because Moses, you know, he needed to delegate. So, you know, it's all about time management, you know. And so Hans and Franz are going to pump you up and it's keeping you really busy kind of Christianity. And the problem is it all turns into do. It all turns into law. But we're to preach law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. That was just, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And that is a surefire formula for flaming out as a Christian, because you can never be renewed by the law. You must be renewed by grace, and that comes through the preaching of the gospel for Christians, which seems to be mysteriously missing more and more in places that call themselves Christian churches. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>